Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have an amazing guest all the way from Jupiter, Florida. Welcome to the show, Bob Berg. Thank you, Victor. Great to be with you. Great to have you here. Now, Bob, at the beginning of this month, we reviewed your book, The Go-Giver, as part of our book of the month. And in order to be considered for book of the month, the book has to meet a very simple criteria. It's got to be impactful enough that it will either change your life or your perspective on the world. Now, of course, whether it does or not is entirely up to the reader, whether they're going to simply consume the book as a piece of passive content, as a piece of entertainment, or whether they're going to internalize it. But consumed the right way, The Go-Giver has changed many, many lives. Let's talk a little bit about what was the what was the inspiration to write the book? What was it that touched you that said, I need to write this book? Well, thank you. And I'm honored to know the book was highly thought of by you and that you felt it was worthy of that criteria. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. It's deserved. Thank you. Really, it was inspired by a combination of a, a book I'd written years and years ago and my love for business parables. Years ago, I had a book called Endless Referrals, Network Your Everyday Contacts into Sales. It first came out actually in the 90s, and it's been revised and updated a couple of times. But it was really, it was a book on how entrepreneurs and salespeople who knew they had a great product or service to share, they knew it brought value to others, yet they didn't feel comfortable with the process of going out into their communities and creating the types of relationships that would lead to direct business and to referral. So it was a, a how-to on how to build these relationships where people would know you, like you, trust you, want to see you succeed, want to do business with you, want to refer you to others. Well, I'd always, though, uh, as many books as I read, as many how-to books as I read, I also love reading parables. Mm -hmm. And uh, from the time I got into sales, I've done so, whether it was the, the longer form ones, such as Ogmandino's Greatest Salesman in the World or Klassen's Richest Man in Babylon to some of the ones that came along, the shorter form ones that came along in the late 70s, early 80s, Doctor's. Blanchard and Johnson, the one minute series. And then you have, you know, throughout the years, you've had people like John Gordon and Chris Widener. And what I loved about reading parables was, well, I mean, I think we all know that stories connect on a deeper level than simply a how-to book. They both have their place, but stories connect, okay, on a heart-to-heart -heart level. And I always loved them. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could take the basic premise of endless referrals, which is all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust and turn that into a parable. So in coming up with the title, I, I just sort of asked myself the question, what is the essence of that person who is able to both quickly and sustainably create those no like and trust relationships? And it's that they're givers. They're always looking for ways to give value to others. And so coming up with the title was the easy part. But the best thing I did for the book itself was to ask John David Mann, who was at the time the editor-in-chief of a magazine I used to write for, who wasn't well-known at that time. Now he's the co-author and ghostwriter of a number of New York Times bestselling books with numerous co-authors. But back then, few people knew of his brilliance. Fortunately, I was one of them who did. So I asked John to co-author it with me, be the lead writer and storyteller. I'm more of a how-to guy. John's a great storyteller. So we collaborated on that. And that was really how The Go-Giver came about. I love that story. 
one of the things you talk about in the book is the law of compensation. And if I was to paraphrase what that means, the more people you touch, the more people you have opportunity to impact, the more you will earn. If you're only communicating with one or two people versus millions, well, that's why Oprah makes so much more money than someone who's just an expert sitting behind their desk looking to Google for answers. Absolutely. That's, you hit it right on the head. So let's talk a little bit about the process. I like to separate process and content. We could talk about the content of the book, but taking a book like this and getting it out into the world didn't just happen. You didn't just put it out there and sit back and wait for the checks to roll in. You had to do some heavy lifting. Let's talk a little bit about that process. You got the book translated into multiple different languages. I'm sure that didn't just happen on its own. Talk a little bit about the process of being intentional in getting your message out there so that you connect with people almost on a personal level. Well, first, you know, the process began with, again, getting the co-author that I wanted. John was the only one who I wanted to do this with. Fortunately, he said yes. Then it was getting our agent for the book. And we wanted the McBride Literary Agency. Neither of us had worked with them before, but we knew of them and we knew how good they were. And they were actually the agents for the one minute series. And we wanted them to be there. And they're they're wonderful. It was a great choice. And fortunately, they took us on. Now, the easy part was kind of writing the book, right? Especially with a brilliant writer such as John. So that only took us a few months. But then as our agent was was presenting to different publishing houses, we actually got turned down 25 times over the course of the year. So it wasn't like it was just we put it out there and they accepted it. And we heard every reason from the world doesn't need another business parable to it's just not for us or, you know, it's a good job, but it's not really our thing. And, and all sorts of reasons, you know, some of them are the type that you just say, okay, well, thank you. And you move on. And others are the type to say, Hey, let's take what they said and really put our egos aside and see if there's some truth here that we need to rework. And there were some things that we needed to more than anything. It was in the marketing of it, the presenting of it to a publisher, because really what does a publisher want to see? They want to see the platform that an author has because a publisher is in the business of selling lots of books, right? And so they wanted to know that the authors were going to be able to do that. And we realized that the marketing, especially for someone who that's kind of my thing, the marketing of it, the packaging of it was weak in terms of what we were going to do with it. So we kind of went back to the drawing board and came up with a a much better video that we put together specifically for publishers, as well as the writing up what we would do, which again, John handled just brilliantly. And we finally, after a year, and again, 25 rejections, we met the perfect publishing partner, which was Portfolio, a division of business book division of uh, Penguin Random House. And they have just been fantastic in terms of their knowledge, their wisdom, their support, and their desire for this to succeed. And for us to, to succeed. Now, as you know, you know, unless you're Stephen King or some of the big authors who, you sure. know, they're going to sell, they're not going to do the publicity. Okay. The publishers, are, no, the author, that's up to the author as it should be. That's absolutely fine. But their support has been just wonderful. And that's a big, big thing. A lot of people don't realize that the publisher is in fact, the one taking the financial risk in many respects, because the book model is a consignment model. When you go to Barnes and Noble, they don't own any of that inventory. It's the publisher that's paid to get those books on the shelf. Yeah. I've often said that the, and I don't think I made this up. I'm sure I heard it from someone, but that the publishing industry is basically a printer that works on a consignment basis. Yeah. Exactly. They take a lot of, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean, they take a lot of risk when they decide to publish a book. 
Exactly. So it started, yeah, and just getting it done. There was a process there. Then it was the marketing of the book itself. Sure. That's fascinating. And, and thank you for sharing that because I think it's helpful to peek behind the curtain. I know there's a lot of listeners of the show here that are working on developing their own platform, mm -hmm. developing their own thought leadership in their own specific domain. I mean, after all, what is the difference between an expert and a thought leader? An expert knows stuff and a thought leader is known for knowing stuff. That's really uh, perfect. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you make the transition from just being an expert to a thought leader? What was it that you did? Ah, uh, well, I mean, you know, and that started before the go-giver, I think, because as soon as I started speaking professionally, a big job of mine was, was becoming known for what I was doing. In fact, I wrote my first book, Endless Referrals, for that very reason. Endless Referrals was not a book I necessarily wanted to write. It was a marketing tool. It was a positioning tool. Mm -hmm. I was at a National Speakers Association meeting talking to some of the more successful speakers. And I had at that time been in the business for a few years and had gotten finally to the point that my business was sustainable, you know? And they said, you know, really, Berg, the next step you need to take is to get a book published that's going to position you in the marketplace as an expert, which again, you can be an expert, but it's when you're positioned as an expert that you're a thought leader, as you said. I mean, I'm just paraphrasing you yeah. and what you yeah, said. Yeah. And so they said, it's, it's going to position you as an expert. It's going to make it easier for you to market. You're going to use it as a positioning tool in your marketing. You're going to find it easier to get engagements and you're going to be able to raise your fees. And they were right. You know, so for years I used that book as an outbound marketing tool. Now there were times somebody called because one of their salespeople or vice presidents of sales or something or some regional had gotten the book. They enjoyed the book. They sent it upward. And then they said, you know, are you available to speak? And, you know, those were always great, but those are gravy on the potatoes. Sure. Yeah, I used it as an outbound tool. It's only that now the go-giver has been different. That kind of, once it took on a life of its own, I began getting calls for that. But, but Endless Referrals wasn't that type of book. So after Endless Referrals, which again, I wrote for totally utilitarian reasons, after that, every book I've written since that time has been because I felt I had a message to share that I kind of wanted to get out there and that a book allowed me to do it in a way that would reach the, the most number of people, impact the most number of, of lives. And of course, the result of that is that it brought me into more of a thought leadership position. And as that happened, I became more desirable as a speaker and some of the other things that we do and the money followed. This is really why and where John and I say when it comes to value and earning, money is simply an echo of value, right? It's yes. the thunder to values lightning, which means when you focus on providing value to the marketplace, right? When that's your focus, the money is simply a natural result. Then, as you were saying earlier, the law of compensation, which says your income is determined by how many people you serve, as well as how well you serve them. Now you're talking about impacting the most number of lives with that value. So exceptional value plus significant reach is what equals very high compensation. I love that. You talked a little bit about the National Speakers Association, and I'm not a member, but I know many people who have been. And in fact, my good friend and mentor, Dr. Nito Kubain, was the founder. Uh, I mean, I have so much time for him. He's one of my heroes. He is absolutely one of my great heroes in life. There's no one else like him on the planet. There really isn't. He's accomplished so much in his life. It's just extraordinary. 
for coming over when he was a young boy yeah. and not speaking any English. And just, you know, the man is just a, he's a legend for, for speakers. I mean, we all consider him our mentor, whether, you know. Sure. And, but he's a guy who, you know, as sought out as he is, as busy as he is, he always will take time for you. And you feel like you're the most important person in the world when you're speaking with him. He'll write personal notes. You know, he'll, this guy is just, you know, he's a, he's a mensch. He's just a really, really fantastic human being. I got an email from him about 10 days ago. It was just so beautiful. I just have no words. I mean, I tear up when I just think of him all the time. It's yeah. amazing. Talk a little bit about the role that the National Speakers Association played in your growth. Oh, it well, it, it cut my learning curve significantly by years because mm -hmm. you had people there who had already done what I wanted to do. <laughs> and they really had the, the system in a sense. Not different people did it different ways, sure. but you can, you can kind of mesh things together and find a system from that. I personally define a system as the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles. I'm sure you have the same when it comes to investing, right? In, in property, of course. right? And the key is predictability. If it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired results of B, then you know all you need to do is A and continue to do A and continue to do A. And eventually you'll get the desired results of, of B. And so, you know, I looked for the people who I knew were were doing very well and I wanted to know what they were doing. And you know, some of them had programs I could purchase or I could listen in on the speeches and when they talked and get the audios from it. So many of them allowed me to call them and speak to them on the phone. Yeah, it absolutely cut my learning curve significantly. I'm a big believer that in order to accomplish anything in life, you need three things. Number one, of course, you need the knowledge. That's kind of textbook. Number two, you've got to have the emotional fortitude to push through whether that means eliminating the emotional obstacles or just developing the perseverance or the persistence. Mm -hmm. And then number three, the most overlooked is you've got to be in the right environment. You know, if your goal is, let's say, to lose 10 pounds, but you're working in the kitchen at Pizza Hut, Absolutely. you're not going to be successful. Absolutely. You have to have all three of those. Can you talk a little bit about that third one in particular and how that might have contributed to you accomplishing your goals? Yeah, I love what you just said. And I, I call it don't keep the Oreos in your house, mm -hmm. right? If you want to lose weight, because I'm, you know, they'll be gone as soon as right. they're in my house. So it's not that I never eat them, but if I'm going to, I have to physically get into the car, drive to the store, get the Oreos, bring them back. You know what I'm saying? I make, so I create the environments around me that make it easier for me to succeed than for me to fail. <laughs> it's like why I have a trainer come in every morning, right? She comes in every single morning. We do our workout and she, because I don't like to work out and I like junk food. And at 63, I find myself actually kind of less inspired to do things on my own. You'd think it'd be opposite, but it's not. So I have to create the environment where I'm more likely to do the right thing for me than the wrong thing. So it's the same as you talked about when it came to the environment to have successful speaking business. I got around the people who were, again, where I wanted to be and whose values were similar and whose styles were not always similar, but usually I duplicated what I felt should be duplicated. I mended and improved upon what I thought would be, again, not improve upon what they're doing, but as it would work for me and what I was trying to accomplish. So I'm a, a huge believer in what you said, that the more we can create that environment, what I call the benevolent context for your success, 
That's so important. I, I just love how you said that. I think it's the reason why all elite figure skaters in the world train together at the same rink in Barrie, Ontario, even though they compete against each other right. uh, when it comes to the Olympics or any world figure skating event, they still train together. It's to be a part of that environment. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, at the National Speakers Association, you're getting around some of the top communicators and speakers in the world. It's really a thrill. It's a joy for me to be able to learn from these people and just be able to talk with them, you know, to see someone like Harvey McKay, you know, in the, in the hallways and be able to stop off and just say hi. And it just, it's such a, a wonderful experience. I often hear from real estate investors that are just getting started and they ask, what's the first step? What's the first thing I should do? Should I just go out and buy a property? And I, and I often tell them, no, you need to get around other people that are demonstrably more successful than you. Maybe you go work in their organization for a period of time. Maybe it doesn't have to be for a decade. It could be for a year or two. Get around those successful people and make them part of your own ecosystem. And it doesn't matter what the domain is. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Do you have time for a quick Nito sure, story? Sure, sure. Always. So Nito teaches two classes. He teaches a class uh, called the President's Seminar on Life Skills. Mm -hmm. He teaches it to all the freshman students and all the seniors. And because of that, he actually knows every student on campus by name. That's what I've heard. One of the assignments, it's a freshman assignment, is he gives every student a teddy bear. And your job, your assignment is to take the teddy bear and by Thanksgiving, you have to give it away to someone who has been most impactful in your life. And the assignment is to then write a letter to Nito saying, what was the impact of giving the teddy bear away on the giver and on the receiver? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's a lesson in stewardship, the notion that we don't own anything. We're simply the caretaker of it for a period of time. And so Nito gave me a teddy bear. <laughs> I knew instantly who I was going to give it to. And it's a gentleman uh, by the name of Dr. Arthur Weiss. He had his dental practice behind the Park Lane Hotel in New York. And he introduced my parents. Oh, oh, uh, oh. Arthur is 99 years old. He and his wife are still both alive. I think she's 96. Wonderful, wonderful people. So I gave this to Arthur on his 90th birthday. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's so nice. So, and I told Arthur the whole story uh, with, with Nito and all the rest. So then Arthur had a friend who was in hospice. He gave the teddy bear to his friend and told his friend the story. Well, his friend passed away. In the aftermath, the teddy bear went missing and Arthur was torn up. So one of the nurses had heard the story. And she had kept it for safekeeping. And about two, three months later, Arthur and the teddy bear were reunited. So then Arthur wrote Nito a letter telling him the whole story. And so then next time I saw Nito, Nito showed me a copy of the letter. And he sent Arthur this huge, giant picture book uh, on High Point University. I mean, yeah, this, yeah. this went around and around yeah, and around. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, how amazing. <sighs> Great. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful story. Oh, that just, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Pretty cool, eh? Yeah. Very, very. And thank you for being part of that. You touched a lot of lives with that. Well, and you see, that's the beauty is, so why a teddy bear? You know, it's not a coffee mug, right? A coffee mug can't touch you here, mm -hmm, but a teddy mm -hmm. bear will. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So simple and so, yeah, so brilliant. That's right. If folks want to learn more, if they want to connect, what's the best way? Uh, easiest place is my website, which is Berg, and that's spelled B-U-R-G dot com. Fantastic. 
if you haven't gone out and purchased a copy of The Go-Giver by John David Mann and Bob Berg, I really urge you to do so. It's an easy read. It's an impactful read. And so for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Bob at Berg.com, B-U-R-G.com. And Bob, thank you for the time today. Oh, Victor, it was really a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And for the listeners at home, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. I'll talk to you again tomorrow.